Pop Podcast this week. It's T Hiddy Pod Island as Tom Hiddleston pops in once again for a chat. You know, we're really going to have to start changing the locks on that guy. Uh, plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast is looking to buy a new suit. Do you think Jeff Goldblum's done with his Thor Ragnarok costume? Just a thought. Just a thought. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast which this week is brought to you in association with those wonderful people at 3 the mobile network that allows you to use your phone in 42, count them, 42 destinations abroad at no extra cost believe me, it saved me a lot of money in the past when I've gone to the States and streamed stuff on my phone um, what was I streaming? well, that's none of your business and I'd like to thank you to stay out of my personal affairs thank you very much <clears throat> moving on swiftly uh, this week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, both of whom were shocked, shocked, I tell you, by the measures introduced in this week's budget by the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, first up is our geek queen, who was dismayed by the move to reduce the price of Hamilton tickets in the West End by 50% <laughs> after she'd remortgaged her house to buy thousands. Uh, it's Helen O'Hara. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that they would ever do that in the budget. They'd raise the prices, wouldn't they? You no, know? I think they, they cut the prices because this is a government for the people, I, uh, by the people. Okay. They want the people to see Hamilton. Super duper. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last but not least is our editor-in-chief, a woman who was similarly taken aback by the new mandate that all podcast hosts should be paid a six-figure sum. <laughs> it was worth a try. It was worth a try, Terry White. Hello, how are you? Good, Chris. How are you? I am super duper. Uh, not super dapper, though, because um, I, I can't find a suit for the Empire Awards. The three Empire Awards, which are... Next week. Next Sunday, the Next 19th Sunday. of March. I'm really glad you seem to not remember that date. <laughs> I know the date. I know the venue. It's it's the Grosvenor House. So no, no. way. No. <laughs> it's it's somewhere in London. Uh, it's at the Roundhouse in the Camden. The Roundhouse in Camden. So trendy. There this is go. cool. So trendy. There we go. And uh, why do you need a suit, Chris? Because I'm going. And but uh, I'm... Uh, I'm co-hosting. Yes, with you are. With you. me. <laughs> I don't know if we've told anybody this yet. I don't think we have, no. No, I'm not no. sure if we're allowed to or supposed to. Are we not? No. Oh, it's too late um. now. Because this is live. Yeah. This is, we can't yeah. cut this bit out. <laughs> this is awesome. I feel like I'm with celebrities. Is it meant to be a big surprise? Uh, I'm sure it will be a surprise. I'm, <laughs> It'll I don't be a know. shock for many. <laughs> I don't know about meant to be a surprise. Uh, yes, a surprise. Please welcome your hosts, not famous people. <laughs> and everyone in the room is going, what? what? Who are these but, people? But literally everyone in our in this room is famous. You yeah. couldn't get a famous person. Yeah, yeah, I'm on a table with people who are way more famous than these two charlatans on stage. But uh, I'm looking forward great. to it. It's going to be yes. exciting. Uh, you'd be right. delighted to know I have started writing the script. Good. <laughs> Good. Is, that, is that the one you put online yesterday? Uh, that is the one I put online the other that day. Is, yeah, yeah, and it said something along the lines of um, words here. Words here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You'll be glad to know that since I wrote that, uh, I have inserted some words. Are those words welcome to this year's Empire Awards? Shit. <laughs> Have I included you on the collaboration? <laughs> part yeah, of I'm this? on the Google Doc. Yeah. Okay. Is there a penis joke? There is. Yeah, of course there is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's 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 a big one. Mm. Oh, Chris, what? No one believes that. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> I'm overcompensating so much. I'm so lonely. Uh, should we have a question? Oh, probably better. Yeah. Uh, this week's question is related to the Logan spoiler special, which is currently available for you to pour into your ears with great love and, and care. Uh, it's out right now. It features 
us three primarily because James Dyer got a phone call from Arnold Schwarzenegger halfway through it and had to run not even kidding <laughs> not kidding genuinely <laughs> that happened um, and so he, he ran off to do his thing uh, we talked about Logan for ages and we also had Jim Mangold the director of Logan which is fantastic if you haven't seen it go and see it uh, check out the Logan spoiler special but we did get a question from someone which came in a little bit too late for inclusion on the special and I thought it deserved uh, its, its moment in the sun here However, me being me, I didn't note down the name of the person who sent in the question. So, you know who you are, and thank you for this question. And it was basically something along the lines of, rank the X-Men movies in the order of Wolverine's hair. So, the best from best to worst. Okay, okay. We can do this. I, I think we can absolutely do this. I think this should be an in-depth discussion that takes four hours. <laughs> oh, it might be, you know. Um, <laughs> it just might be. I think I may have come to the right golly. place here. <laughs> All uh, right. I think I would say... Should we go through film by film first Okay, okay. Let's go through chronologically. By film by film, chronologically. Yep. So X-Men. Yep. All right. So his hair in that, they didn't quite get it right. No. They were a little tentative. There's a about lot the of hairspray going on there. <laughs> gel. Yeah. A lot of gel. A lot of gel. A lot of gel going on. In fact, that movie, you can see his hair changing throughout the film as mm. they get a little bit more confident about the... What's the, the phrase for the Wolverine hair with the big... The peaks? Is that, you know... Peaks it's not Ray Reardon. It's not Dracula. Yeah, I don't think there is. I think... I don't think there is. I don't such think a that's term. a recognised no. hairstyle. It's not like flock of seagulls or you know, but it's kind duck of butt or whatever. At times in the X Men movies, it does tend to it, it, go towards flock of seagulls it territory. Does, yeah, it, it certainly it, yeah. it looks a little bit seagullish. Okay. Um, but I I think I think actually X X Men and X Two are probably his worst hair. Now X Two, as you know, is great in all other ways. But his hair, if you look at that hair, it is not great. Well, that's that's X-Men, isn't it? Uh, right, that, that picture you got up there. I've but got X-Men here and X-Men the last time, which is terrible. It's very bouffant. There's a moment in uh, X-Men 2. Uh, I think his hair is decent in X-Men 2. Uh, it's not too bad. It's an attempt. Again, they were a bit more confident. They were trying to go for a little bit more of the comic book Wolverine. But mm. I think they realised that the comic book Wolverine is actually a little bit ridiculous. And if you walked <laughs> yes. down the street looking like that, people would, would cross the street to avoid you. But there's a moment in X-Men 2 there were reshoots towards the end and Hugh Jackman had gone off to do Van Helsing mm. with his incredible extensions. Oh, his lovely and luscious locks. So there. when he came back to do the reshoots for X-Men 2, they had a problem, which was he mm. had way more hair than he had previously. So there are shots in X-Men 2, specifically the scene with uh, Scott and, and Logan towards the end when they're sobbing about Jean, where Logan has just the most stupid buoyant, bouffant, <laughs> six feet tall hairdo because they're trying desperately to cover up the extensions. Uh, so they shoot him from a low angle as well, which doesn't help. So <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a skyscraper of hair. So check that out. That'll ruin X-Men 2 for you next, yeah. time, next time you see it. There's something quite victory rolls about it. It's a little yeah, bit, you is. know, I'm waiting for my husband to come home from war. <laughs> yep. Whatever will I do about the rations? Yep. Uh, I hope his plane doesn't go down. Oh also, my God. it touches his sideburns. So it's kind of, a, an, in moments, it's like an all-in-one hair... Hair. What, what would you? That's like a full hair face piece. <laughs> that's a, a great full, line. Yeah, a full hair face piece. I like it. I challenge you to uh, grow one, Chris. <laughs> I, a full hair face piece. I can't. He's I been, can't grow. This is what he's been doing for. He's been trying to grow hair. Dirty. I can't grow any hair on any part of my body. There's a disconcerting image. Wow, that's <coughs> something we knew just to know. Yeah. Wow. Um, Me totally, neither. Totally barren. So um, I, I think he got better hair in his own films. 
Okay. Generally speaking. I think the Sarah Next Man 3 is okay. It's just a uh, little bit... Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just... a little bit divorced dad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's sad dad. It is. It's a you know, sad dad going to a nightclub to try oh. and pick up the ladies. Crying and, into you know, his betting slips. Yeah, I used to have hair like this when I was 20. I've still got it. <laughs> That's what that hair is. <clears throat> All right. So, <laughs> then there's a Wolverine. Yeah, I quite like his hair in The Wolverine. I know it's not a brilliant film, but he's quite sort of... Um, oh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. or the X-Men Wolverine. Origins Wolverine. That's, that's good hair, but it's, it's, not, good it's hair. not Wolverine it's hair. It's not Wolverine no, it's hair, not. but it's no. it's it's just... It, it's bouncy and bodyful and full of life. It's sort of it's sort of Oscar Isaac, Adam Driver levels of, of bouncy, full-bodied hair, which, as we all know, is is the dream. Oh, you know what, you know what it is? That is uh, Andrea Pirlo hair. I don't know uh, what that is. He is one of the classiest footballers of all time. He is an <laughs> absolute man crush. And that is, yeah. Woo, hello. It's okay. a little bit Jesus Christ hair. It's not Jesus it's Christ It's a little hair. bit Jesus. It's, it's imagine, too short, though. Imagine Jesus had a trim. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah. going to, you know, he's got... So we're thinking really Andrew Garfield in silence, really. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is actually Andrew Garfield in silence hair. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Okay. So let's move on. Okay. The Wolverine, a bit closer to a buzz cut. But mm-hmm. still has the peaks a little bit on either side. There's a, yep. there's a suggestion that he was like number two on top and the sides, and then number three on the <laughs> edges. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. It's probably different numbers. I don't really know. Um, but uh, I think it's he cuts not his bad. Own hair. Um, presumably, I mean, if you had claws in your hands, would you not? Precisely. This is the thing. Does his hair have a healing factor? That's what I want to know. So if he cuts his hair, does it immediately start growing back? Well, no, because your hair's dead. Yeah. Only your follicles are alive. So only if you pulled it out of the roots, yeah. that it would... And it reach everybody's hair. What? Regenerate. I've learned so much about hair today. <laughs> this is amazing. It's like I've joined a hair club for men. <laughs> I wish I could join a hair club for men. <laughs> start one with James Dyer. Oh, but he's long gone. I mean, my stable door is bolting, but his bolted a long time ago. That's... Sorry, James. I've Sorry, seen pictures James. of James with, with hair. When, oh he was, when he was a teenager and he had a proper Fake if anyone news. knows what James Dyer looks like uh, if you don't know what James Dyer looks like just grab a Jason Statham DVD and just take a look any, any DVD and just take a look at the cover of it and that's basically James Dyer uh, but in, in in his olden days back in days of yore he had long cascading blonde locks because he was a proper banger wasn't he he was a proper thrasher he, he loved to uh, he loved to do the metal he tells me this and I simply just cannot believe no, it. No, no, you it's have true. to see it to it's believe like it. It's like he amazing. came out of the womb bald. <laughs> I imagine James came out as if this is becoming the James Dyer podcast, but I imagine he comes out fully he's not bald. I know he's not here. He's not famous. He just works for Empire. But we're gonna dedicate the next five minutes to James Dyer. <laughs> okay. I imagine he came out six feet two, bald, mm-hmm. being incredibly <laughs> self righteous and intelligent and smart and brilliant and funny and a right pain in the ass. Immediately, it was a difficult labour. <laughs> His mum was still furious. is. <laughs> <laughs> In many ways, he still is a man child. Uh, yeah, I really, I, I like the Wolverine hair. Thumbs up for the Wolverine hair. Day to Future Past hair. Now, which one? Mm, I, I, I think I think seventies rather than future mm. for me. And uh, uh, there's not a huge amount in it, obviously, because I had to. F- but there's a, there's a little bit of squarishness. About about the days of future past hair, isn't there? There's a sort of there's an element of squared offness, which I'm not sure. It's not bad, mm-hmm. and it's still very high on top in the seventies. Like really, like it definitely has those peaks. It, it has the victory rolls still. Yeah, I like the I like the bits of grey mm-hmm. at the temples for future Wolverine. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, and I think that that answers our question: Who cuts his hair? And it has to be him. It has to be him because there are no barbers in. Post-apocalyptic wasteland <laughs> in the 1970s, as we all know. That's why all the footballers looked like that. 
and in the 2023 there were no barbers around I guess you just you know pops one claw maybe the one by the by the little finger you mm. know to get as close to the head as possible yeah. just run it backwards and then run it across the top yeah and Bob's your uncle yeah now, now I'll do you Charles fuck off <laughs> get away from me with those uh, no but then Magneto could, could control the claws for precision wow what a team yeah. <laughs> what a team what a, Mags and Logan's barbershop so then, then then what we get into is some kind of like Edward Scissorhands kind of creation mm-hmm. sort of hair hair designs you know where Logan could could really reinvent himself as, as a heck of a, a in demand hairdresser this he could be amazing. the sort of John Peters of the mutant universe <laughs> there's a shocking wasn't um, wasn't Joel Schumacher a hairdresser as well was he or something like that. Didn't he start off as a costume designer or a hairdresser? Oh my god! I, may I can't believe you. Yeah, I'm sure, you just I'm sure he would love to hear that. If not. Joel, you're, if you're listening, and I know you are, do you write in and let us know? Uh, so he appears in first class for one scene. There's his hair. You see, I, this is kind of rockabilly esque, very fifties greaser. Grease, uh-huh. Grease one, not Grease two. Even though Grease two is a superior <laughs> film, but that's a completely different discussion. I like this. It's a, he's this for me has an air of sexy. An air of sexy. Unlike all the others, of course, <laughs> yeah. which are hideous. Which well, leave me cold. This was one scene, of course, and he had to compete with the sexiness levels of Fassbender and McAvoy. And and it's set in 1962, so that would explain yes. the 50s-ness of it. But he had to he had to bring it. He had to bring the sexy hair. And I think he, I think he did in that one. All he right. looks like Johnny Depp in Crybaby. Sorry, that just entered my head and I had to shout it. Yeah, he does a little bit. He does a little bit. Does, yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. He does. Uh, right, so what's next? Uh, X-Men Apocalypse, his brief cameo in that, where his hair is just wild and just wild split free. ends, split ends everywhere. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't give I, Apocalypse full marks for anything. Sorry. <laughs> Poor Apocalypse seems to come towards the, the bottom or second bottom of all X-Men polls. And well, I, I mean, it might, do, it might do here as well. I've already talked at length about the hair sins committed vis-a-vis Oscar Isaac in Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay. I'm going to try not to do that again. But, like, come on, people. You can't do that. The thing with the, with Apocalypse is the crazy sort of halo around his head. Uh-huh. So you can't even see what the hair is doing in that, except oh, you, that his beard is really when unkempt. They, when Gene takes it off and lets the helmet fall to the ground. And, uh, yeah. Hmm. It's the first time Gene touched Wolverine's helmet. Oh, Chris. <sighs> anyway, and then we have um, Logan, where his own hair... There's a little bit of colour variation I noticed mm. fr- throughout. Sometimes it looks almost blonde. Mm-hmm. You're still thinking about that yeah. joke, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, Pretty happy with that one. <laughs> I know, I know, Chris. Um, yeah, there's there's a little bit of kind of colour variation. He kind of carries off the grizzled look quite well, I think. And uh, But I think X-24's hair is the superior Wolverine uh, hair in that okay. film. This is interesting. Mm. 100%. That, yeah. that buzz cut. Yeah, it's working for him. <sighs> <laughs> I'll just give Terry a moment. Right I'm formulating words, but they're currently inside my head. Has, I'm not coming out. Has Huge Action ever had a buzz cut on on screen before? I don't know if he has. Has he? I feel like he has. I yeah. feel like I've seen that before. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to have to now go back through his filmography. What a trial. one by one. <laughs> Such a chore. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm surprised he didn't go for the peaks. And if you want to go, if, if X-24 is the apotheosis of, of, of Logan, I'm, I should have had massive hair. He should have had 10, 10 feet tall hair. 
that people would be able to hide in and hang <laughs> off. Because sometimes you see in the comic books some of the hair that the artists will, you know, they'll they'll have artistic license, obviously, being artists, and uh, they'll, they'll go absolutely nuts with the hair. I think, I think they should have done that with X twenty four instead Pat of your Benatar. sexy buzz cut. Pat Benatar hair. Pat Benatar, yes. So we've we've talked through <laughs> great excruciating detail for the four people who are still listening to this. <laughs> let's rank them very very quickly. Okay. Okay. Best hair. Oh, I'm going to be controversial and say X Men Origins Wolverine. First class. I know it's one scene, but it's okay. first class. I'm uh, the the Wolver the wolf the Wolverine. The Wolverine is good. The no, Wolverine might be my number two. Wait. Days of Future Past. Okay. Those can be the first three. Okay, know. Days of Future Past. Uh, okay, okay. Next, next. What's We're bottom? Two? What's bottom? Um, apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just ex- by default. Then X. Then X one. Okay. Then probably X three. X three. Yeah. Then X two. Then X two. Okay. Yeah. And where would you? And put then Logan. Logan. Yeah, because okay. Logan. There's not much drama in the hair in Logan okay. it doesn't kind of stand alone <laughs> out of the many things about that film that I love I didn't you know have a hair moment well it makes sense doesn't it he's a man who's given up in yeah. Logan so he's he's gonna give up sort of maintaining his hairdo as well he does he's and you just, know it's, it's a man who who uh, he, could, he could do a blue collar job you know yeah. there's bits of dust in his hair yeah. from the building site uh, I'm, oh, this is a Rugged. whole other fantasy world Rugged. where Logan <laughs> works on a building site. Shall we, shall we, uh, shall we move on from, from this? Uh, all right. So I think it's pretty definitive. We all have different answers. Um, <laughs> Amazing. So that settled, that settled your question. Strange person who sent in a question whose name I did not write down. So sorry about that. Uh, but hope you enjoyed part of us talking about it uh, if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast and frankly why wouldn't you you can do so by sending them in via Twitter we're at Empire Magazine use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it we're on Facebook as Empire Magazine and we are also on email podcast at empireonline.com now seems a good time for a word about our sponsors three who are of course also the sponsors of this year's Empire Awards uh, with three you can use your phone abroad at no extra cost, whether you're on pay-monthly advanced plans or pay-as-you-go, no matter if you're using a tablet, a phone, or a dongle. I don't know what a dongle is, but if you want to use one, that's entirely up to you. Uh, Feel at Home works automatically. You'll receive a text message telling you you're in a feel-at-home destination when you arrive, and then you can use your phone completely worry-free. And they tell you when you get back to the UK just how much money you've saved. And you can use that money to buy really frivolous things. It's not a lot of fun. Movie news. What is happening in the world of movie news this week? Well, I mean, speaking of Hugh Jackman, which we always like to do, um, he ha- there was some casting news about him this week. Uh, Michael Mann has been trying for ages and ages to make a film about... Enzo Ferrari, who was the car racing legend, uh, that's what they tell me, I have no idea. Um, I imagine he's in some way connected with uh, Ferrari. Uh, And uh, he's been trying to make this biopic for ages and ages. He was going to make it a couple of years ago with Christian Bale. Um, He dropped out, but the prestige has come to the rescue once again, and uh, Hugh Jackman will step in instead, apparently, with uh, Numi Rapace uh, in the other lead role. So... Man has, as in Michael Mann, has two existing scripts. So one was by uh, Troy Kennedy Martin, who wrote The Italian Job, another one by David Rayfield, who wrote Out of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of put them together into a film called Ferrari. Um, and uh, it's basically, yeah, it's about 
one year in his life as he kind of begins his career working for Alfa Romeo as a racer, going to build his own company and building it into a force to be reckoned with. That's really it. That's exciting. Because he's now, obviously, having done Wolverine, he no longer has to uh, eat four chicken breasts and six raw eggs a day. Yeah. So I think it's The Guardian who reports that Christian Bell quit over the amount of weight he'd need to gain, which sounds unlikely for Christian Bell. He's not exactly a man who doesn't enjoy going full method he loves that stuff he loves it but then he's he, Mr Method Man he oh, did do yeah. it oh did oh, did oh that's what he says <laughs> the only thing is he did it like three times really up and down between uh, each yeah. Batman film he had a hugely skinny role afterwards there was that uh, Prisoner of War movie Machinist he, The Machinist he and tons. The Fighter yeah mm-hmm. so he, he lost huge amounts of weight for all of those and it's possible I mean I certainly remember him talking at the time about how his doctor was a little bit worried about him mm. and he may have been advised not to Massively change his body shape mm. again. So I don't. I don't know. If we ever seen a a fat Jackman, <laughs> I'm not sure we have. I'm excited. We're, we're going to have to revisit all Hugh Jackman's films afterwards. Uh, Everything get, that yeah. ever happened, yeah. even the bad ones, like someone like you. Hey, I really to... like someone like <laughs> really? you. Really? Yeah. What about Deception? Is that the one with you, uh, McGregor? Is that the one? Uh, was he? He's, a, he's an evil type. I don't remember that one. No. Yeah. No? Yeah. Uh, but it's the kind of name that doesn't exactly No, it doesn't, yeah. 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 It doesn't ring. Okay. Um, anyway, so this is, yeah, this is this this could be happening. Um, I think, he, I actually think Hugh Jackman's in a really interesting place coming off the back mm. of Logan, because I think, um, you know, there is such an unfortunate, not stigma, but I think people judge um, stars who repeatedly are in comic book movies. Um, you know, I know we've talked before about kind of sometimes how people don't give um, comic book movies the kudos really they deserve and the actors the kudos they deserve. But I think Logan's taking him into a really different kind of dramatic space. And obviously he's still shooting Greatest Showman at the moment, which is musical, which is, yeah. you know, really his background. But to but to kind of see these other roles coming through, I'm really excited to see kind of the next three or four films he does because I think the, the the kind of dramatic chops that, that he showed in Logan and that people really responded to and, and have shown him a lot of love for, I think is um I think it's it's kind of positioned him slightly different. It's a yeah. great way to move out of that character. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he's always tried to do different things, but I think now yeah. he can really sort of do whatever he wants. Nabbit, which is great. Other slightly uh, less likely casting news this week, Eva Green um, is going to be starring in the live-action version of Dumbo, because certainly mm-hmm. when I think Flying Elephants, uh, I think I think Eva Green. Um, Tim Burton obviously directing this, and she'll play one of the three main roles in the movie. We don't know what that means, because, you know, there aren't really three main mm. human roles in Dumbo. Um <laughs> I mean, that's a, now. it's a 70 minute film. I'm assuming that they're essentially doing what Disney have done with many of these live action cartoon adaptations and, and kind of bulked out or extended or developed the story a bit more. So maybe that's where she's kind of fitting in or maybe she's voicing Dumbo's mum. I have no idea. But uh, yeah, Eva Green uh, in Dumbo, which is still a thing that's happening. Yeah, clearly that's a partnership that works. She was the best yeah. thing mm-hmm. in, about Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. She was. She's very good in Dark Shadows. Yes, very good. So, well done. <laughs> I think, I, th- I hope this kind of, and obviously if, if this works out, becomes a, a great kind of long relationship between these those two, because I completely agree with Chris. I mm. had many issues with Miss Peregrine's, but I thought she was absolutely spectacular. She is she terrific. She was captivating. Yeah. Um, and he, I felt like he brought something out in her that, that 
I'd not really seen before. So I th- I'm there's a kind really... of impishness to her in, yes. in his films. I think, yeah, I there's, agree. There's a real twinkle in her eye. But it's just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm still slightly baffled by the whole live-action Dumbo brought to you by Tim Burton. Of course, though, Tim Burton has an uh, has a background in animation. Worked for Disney in the '80s before going into sort of live-action filmmaking, um, and and. Almost every animator I've ever met worships Dumbo, so I guess that's probably why this is happening. It just—it still seems like a slightly old film. I, th- I think one thing about Tim Burton's Dumbo is that it's not going to be a, a slavish remake uh, in that's a way true. that perhaps other live-action movie adaptations of Disney movies have have been. Or it's not going to—it's not going to necessarily just cling to the contours of the original. Uh, I think it's very interesting. He's mm. going to do his own thing, and that thing is going to be. Batch it <laughs> and I'm I'm on board. Yeah, it's very can exciting. Hope. But can we just say live action elephant? I know. Well, this is the problem with using the phrase live action about some of these films because we're talking about yeah. a live action Lion King, which is yeah. not no. remotely what we're going to get, and yeah. live action Jungle Book was yes. was not either. Um, it's a, it's a confusing time, and I don't know how to talk about. <laughs> it's a confusing anymore. time. It's a strange time. We never really talked about the, the Lion King, the the, the casting decisions that uh, John Favreau has made in the Lion King. So Donald Glover is Simba. Yeah, cool. Very, Super very duper. cool. Donald mm. Glover's having a real moment at the moment. At the moment. At the moment. Um, and I love this. James Earl Jones as Mufasa. I mean, if it ain't broke. I mean, that's great, isn't it? Yeah. He can do Darth Vader again. <laughs> he can do Mufasa again. It's all very, very exciting. It's got to be Jeremy Irons. Field Scar, of Dreams it? remake. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, how many times has that happened where an actor has had a chance to play the same part in a remake? Maybe that's a question for next week, people. Listen to that and send it in. We also have news about a former pod guest this week. Very big, very exciting news about a mm-hmm. pod guest. Who is it? Uh, Jason Isaacs. Hello oh, to him. Hello to Jason Isaacs. <laughs> um, he will be the captain of Star Trek Discovery, um, the return of Star Trek to the small screen, uh, mm-hmm. which is extraordinarily welcome after too long a break. Um, and uh, and he will be, yeah. Um, he, will he will be killed in episode four. <laughs> hey, that's, that's my hey. guess. Or um, evil. No. One of the two. No. He would be killed in episode four. He'll be like evil. the big, shocking Sean Bean in Game of Thrones death that you didn't think was coming. Oh, look what it is coming. It's, it's, you know, it's it's um, it's um Lisa Faulkner and Spooks with their face being shoved oh, into the boiling fat. Ew. That's, it's going to happen. Jason Isaacs, he's going to be bad or killed. Mark my words. Well, okay, look, I... I don't want in any way to join you in that level of cynicism, Chris. It's not Howe- cynicism. However, I will admit that they have said that the captain is not central to the show in the way that, for example, a Captain Picard, a Captain Janeway, a Captain Kirk, or a captain Commander Cisco initially <laughs> are. Captain coughing into a handkerchief and with looking a spot of blood. How dare you, sir? Yeah, How dare that's his you? name. It's an unusual name, but. So Isaac's obviously joins Doug Jones, Anthony Rapp, James Frayne, uh, Michelle Yeoh is going to be recurring. Um, the lead is going to be Sonequa Martin-Green uh, as Rainsford, who's the sort of number one figure, the Riker, if you will, the um, number one in the cage. If you go back, right back to the pilot, you know that yeah. guy, that um, guy, that lady. That lady. Um, so, uh, so yeah, exciting times. Um, it's now going to be late summer slash early autumn. Uh-huh. Um, and it's going to be Netflix, I think, in this part of the world. Good casting. Good casting mm, from yeah. Jason Isaacs as doomed captain. Oi! Um, so, uh, what do you think? What do you make of this Jared Leto uh, Tron reboot that's uh, in the works, apparently? What, what do we think of that? Yeah, I guess. What oh. do you think of Liam Neeson in Toxic? <laughs> <laughs> 
think we give that the shrift it deserved. Um, what do you think of Liam Neeson and talk to join Steve McQueen's widows? That's good. That's exciting. Cast. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Despite the time Liam Neeson did something that wasn't, you know, running around with a gun, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I imagine this might involve running around with well, a gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've just got a sneaking suspicion. He even tried it on Monster Calls. I've got my own gun. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine, Liam. It's okay. It's a tree. He doesn't have a gun. He must have a gun. Um, this Getting back to Hugh Jackman, which I obviously like to do as often as possible, um, there was sad news this week when Larrikins, which is the Australian musical animation that he's been working up with, uh, or scheduled to appear in with um, Naomi Watts and Margot Robbie um, uh, has been basically mothballed. Um, it has been killed apparently by uh, Chris Melodandry who's taken over DreamWorks Animation and culled a bunch of projects in development uh, which is a shame because this was Tim Minchin's film and he was writing all the songs for it mm. and oh. um, remember when I had breakfast with Hugh Jackman he was he was raving about how good the songs were and he was really excited about it and very excited to be working with Minchin who was going to co-direct as well as composing um, and I'm sure it would have been funny and obviously musically brilliant so um, it, that's kind of sad sad news and I hope it finds a home somewhere else in some other form Indeed a um, little bit more news to talk about mm. uh, so Vanessa Kirby who was excellent as Princess Margaret in The Crown season one yes. uh, has joined the cast of Mission Impossible 6 Ooh, that's mm. exciting uh, says here her role will be on the same level as Rebecca Ferguson uh, in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation but Ferguson is expected to return alongside Simon Pegg and Jeremy Renner and um, some guy called Cruzy Maypother I think that's his name um, and I'm excited about this starts filming next month in Paris with ah. our good pod friend Christopher McQuarrie at the helm um, yeah so all very very exciting I saw yesterday in the street Solomon Lane himself <gasps> Sean Harris walking down Old Compton Street as if he didn't have a care in the world wow. uh, he's eluded IMF's uh, clutches <laughs> not for long Chris. not for not long, for long. Um, I was driving past Bank uh, in a bus on Sunday and there was a bunch of people uh, filming there and I think it was Mary Poppins return <gasps> it will be yeah. they're so we, here they're here so we've seen some they're images that, haven't we uh, they released an image of um, Emily Blunt they did you couldn't see her face in so you didn't know what she looks like she looks like Emily Blunt in the greatest coat I've seen since Newt Scamander <laughs> That sounds like damning with faint praise, but honestly, it's a great coat. I want them both. I want those coats. It was a good coat. Um, and didn't they release an image of uh, your bloke? They did. Your mate. Yeah, Lin Manuel Miranda. Linny. Uh, no. Um, Manny. No. Linny Manny. No. Still no. Um, lighting lighting lamps, which is his job in the film. He is not a chimney sweep. He is a lamp. What lighter. do you think his Cockney accent is going to be? Um, I think it'll be excellent if he's doing a Cockney accent, which I'm oh, not sure what? he is. Gavda. I'm not going to throw away my shot, so I'm not. <laughs> That's well, amazing, you've learned a line. And Dick Van Dyke will line. be on hand if he needs any help <laughs> finessing. He will be. That Dick, accent. You know, Dick Van Dyke, um, this is this is true, Dick Van Dyke has in his house in, in LA a uh, his own studio with a green screen and he's banging into special effects stuff and he yeah. has all the latest programs and so he fiddles around with this stuff. So I think for 30, maybe 40, 50 years now, Dick Van Dyke has been filming... <laughs> himself trying to get the Cockney accent right when he comes back on the set of Mary Poppins Returns he's going to be it's going to be like one of the Mitchell brothers oh my god oh my god I His hope first, so Poppins you can't <laughs> <laughs> I think you I can't. can guarantee that line won't be in it let yeah. me finish the sentence Poppins you can't do that Mary Poppins <laughs> oh god that's what I said can't you can't do uh, anyway I'll come in again 
that's what he's going to say. 91. It took to 91 for him to uh, nail the accent. <laughs> to, to nail the accent. That, Terry, that wasn't him. That was me. Oh, my God. To be him. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> This is like a play within a play within a play. We need to have a talk about how movies are made. Uh, Spielberg. Just do me a crib sheet. That <laughs> Spielberg's making a movie um, with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. I'm sorry. Spielberg's making a movie with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. This is amazing. When do I? When do I? When do I go and say? I want. I want it. Uh, it's a timely story about the importance of a free press, <laughs> um, and it's called the Post, and it'll focus uh, on the 1971 scandal after the decision of Bren, Ben Bradley, played by Tom Hanks. He, he of course, yeah. was also played by um, Jason Robards in uh, All the President's Men. Yep, and his son. John Slattery in mm-hmm. Spotlight. In Spotlight. Uh, and publisher Catherine Graham Streep to pu- publish the Pentagon Papers, which established that the Johnson administration had lied to the public and Congress about US military involvement in the Vietnam War. Well, I cannot see why that's timely. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so I, mysterious. It's um, so, so weird. But um, So hang on, Steven Spielberg's making this. He's making this. Before Ready Player One or after? After Ready Player One, which okay. is wrapped. Of course. He's, he's in post and that. So I imagine this is his next thing because, of course, this week as well, they confirmed that Indiana Jones 5 is going to be coming in 2019. Yes. So that will be, I imagine he'll do the post yeah. and then go into post in the post and he'll be doing prep on Indy, the fourth Indy film. So he'll be prepping Indy as he as he posts the post. Yeah, he'll be posting the post and and that, that's all she wrote because I don't think there's any more wordplay to be... <laughs> I, 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 I am 100% there. I'm 110% there for, okay. for this film. I'm excited. It's You know what? It's been a good week for movie news. Well done, movie news. Give well, I, Helen, I've got some bad movie oh, news. Oh, no! Helen! I'm sorry, but Joe Carnahan has left Bad Boys for Life, Chris. And the bad movie news... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, maybe bad is a strong word. Um, but he did write the most recent version of the script. It seemed to be coming together, and he's apparently... I think this is a good move for Joe Carnahan. I, I like Joe Carnan as a director mm. and I don't want him to hitch his wagon to uh, terrible movies. Hey, hey, we don't know that. It c- uh, could be. We have no evidence, you're absolutely right, that a Bad Boys film would be terrible. You're, you're right. I, for one, am excited. When I was About 17, I loved Bad Boys. The first one? Yes. The second one is just... I mean... <sighs> the second one's pretty bad. There's, a, there's a, obviously a progression of quality <laughs> in the wrong direction. Um, but and it is funny because no, I don't think anybody's saying, oh, you know, he's he's decided to leave the project. It's like, bad boy three, losers, director. It's like, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, and then one last thing, I think we're, we're, we're happy about this, aren't we? Lars von Trier's back. He's I mean, back, back, yeah, back. Of course. Uh, on a serial killer thriller called The House of Jack Built, which answers a question I've seriously been asking myself for the last two or three weeks. And I, I've nearly gone on Twitter several times to ask, what the hell is Matt Dillon doing these days? Well, I, I think we've all wondered <laughs> that, Chris. And yes. the answer is, he's starring as a serial killer uh, who's hacking his way through uh, swathes of characters in the 1970s mm. in The House of Jack Built. And those characters would include the likes of Riley Keogh and Sophie Grabble. Um, and Uma Thurman. Hmm. So it's also with the name of a Aretha Franklin song. Very good one. I wonder if they know that. Probably. I imagine they do. Yeah, probably. I think he'd be an excellent serial killer. Who? Well, Dylan. Oh, I thought you meant Lars von Trier. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, why would I, I say would... that? <laughs> why would I say that, Chris? No, Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon would be an excellent fictional yes, serial killer. We cannot stress that enough. <laughs> fictional serial killer. Fictional yeah. serial killer. I'm excited. Lars von Trier coming back. It was planned as an eight-part TV series. Now they're going to turn it into a film, and it's shooting started this week. So 
It's a good week. It's a good uh, Just very quickly before, because oh, we do okay. have to move on. Eventually. We do have to talk about um, things. Anna Faris <laughs> is starring in an Overboard remake. Now, obviously, Overboard is perfect and should never be remade. But if you're going to, I feel like she is not a bad shout for the Goldie Hawn role. Um, mm. So so I'm okay with that. Um, the, the the bigger question is uh, Eugenio Derbez is on to star in the sort of Kurt Russell role. And I have to confess, I haven't seen very much of his stuff. So I no. don't know how, he's how eight he's going to be. I, yeah, I had, uh, do you want to see Pass Me By as well? He is 8.9 million Twitter followers. I checked this out the other day when I clicked on his uh, Twitter handle. 8.9 million. That's only slightly less than you. It is only slightly less than me at uh, 10.4 million. Uh, Anna, Anna Faris. Uh, I hope this doesn't derail her podcast, which is excellent. Anna, Anna Faris is mm. unqualified. If you haven't heard that, uh, it's it's very, very good. It's very good. I and think she would be... I just honestly, I think like... Because that film does stand from a comedic perspective that film does stand up as does Goldie's performance I think she is absolutely the right person mm. to take it on a falsetto child oh god so good um, all, and speaking of uh, of cool blondes news Margot oh, Robbie will be starring in a Maid Marian film uh-huh. which is apparently pitched somewhere along the lines of Game of Thrones now there is only one Maid Marian that makes sense to me and that is of course Maid Marian and her merry men um, so I'm a little bit disturbed by this change in tone that they seem to be planning uh, but you know we can only hope that Tony Robinson turns up as the Sheriff of Nottingham I'm sure it'll happen <laughs> oh, please make it so anyway that's, that's enough, probably that's enough, enough news. for the movie that's news. definitely enough that's news. enough uh, should we talk about Wolverine's hair a little bit more or should we have a guest let's have a guest <clears throat> let's have a guest uh, so our guest this week is one of our favourite pod regulars he's challenging Simon Pegg for the uh, greatest number of appearances in the podcast I think this is his fourth now maybe his third but you know it's it feels like he's He's in a lot. Mm. Um, good but which is good, because we, we yeah. like him. Uh, he's a brilliant actor, an all-round nice guy to boot. Uh, this week, he stops Thor bothering long enough uh, to play a British mercenary who goes to Skull Island, and there he finds more than he bargained for in the shape of a very big ape in Kong Skull Island. It is, of course, the brilliant Tom Hiddleston, and he was talking uh, to John Nugent. Do enjoy. Uh, we are very delighted to have Tom Hiddleston back on the Empire Podcast. Welcome, sir. How are you? Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very good. I have, this is a pleasure. Always love doing this. Yeah, I think this is the, your third time. Is it the third or I is believe. it the second? I believe it's the third. It's the third. Yeah, yeah. So the last time we we had you on, you serenaded Chris um, for you. Oh, you for had your guitar. Do you remember that's that? right. That's right. Yes. So <laughs> yes, I did. I have a lot to live up to. Basically, <laughs> I, I haven't got a guitar in here. <laughs> that's okay. So this we're here to talk about Kong Skull Island. Yes, of course. We've seen you. We've seen Tom Hiddleston, the bad guy. The Tom Hiddleston, the super spy. Tom Hiddleston, the the vampire, the musician, the the baronet, but we've never seen Tom Hiddleston, the action hero. Is that was that part of the appeal? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, it was the uh, when I was asked to be in the film, it was described as an old-fashioned adventure of the kind of you know similar to those films that I loved growing up, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Jurassic Park with a contemporary twist and with your favourite prehistoric movie ape in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Captain James Conrad, my character, is is a former soldier, special forces, um, handy with survival skills in the jungle, handy with a sharp object. And it was just very different from everything I'd ever done before. And 
and uh, yeah jumped at it and my, my colleague Nick from Empire he joined you for stretches of filming yeah he came you, to every place yeah and you I mean you went to some pretty amazing places like Vietnam and Hawaii and, and yeah. Australia I mean that's that's okay yeah, I guess yeah, it's a tough gig yeah <laughs> um, they were amazing yeah and for two reasons one there's a version of this film which is shot on a soundstage in a studio with a few well-placed pot plants and <laughs> it's probably easier for um, the transport and everybody like that but um, we went to these places and, and Oahu in Hawaii Queensland in Australia and Vietnam at least provided everyone not just the actors but also the crew with sun wind real swamps volcanoes mountains weather um so that in it, it felt like we were all actually on this deserted island and the only thing we had to imagine was was kong um and the second thing is just the privilege of getting to visit these places they right. are so uh i think it helped all of us kind of become a you know band together as a, as a as a company um there's nothing like throwing a, group, a bunch of actors in a in the valley of a volcano in in Hawaii on yeah. the second day to be like okay you guys just get along yeah. Um, so yeah I loved it um, what, did you have a, a favourite location and a, a least favourite location could you pick those two um, out I have a I have a soft spot for Hawaii because um, we we shot from October to December in Hawaii and, and so Thanksgiving weekend in America fell in our shooting dates and it's a big holiday right. in America but I didn't come home to London because it was too far and we only had four days off everybody else all our American actors and crew went home so I stayed in Hawaii and I learned to surf oh, wow. in Waikiki Beach I'd never been surfing I've always wanted to do it yeah. and um the waves are very gentle for beginners like me and I got up on the first day and was addicted after that yeah. so that's, that's kind of um, always going to be special and then in Australia I was reunited with my on screen brother Chris Hemsworth I hadn't seen him in a while so that was nice um, and, uh, and then in Vietnam Vietnam itself was just the most breathtakingly beautiful place I've ever seen um, I can't recommend a trip highly enough it's so unspoiled and the people are so warm and welcoming and there's this great time uh, I wasn't filming it was a scene with Samuel L. Jackson and his crew and Corey Hawkins who plays Brooks and is now starring in the new 24 mm. and Thomas Mann who you might know from Me and Earl and the Dying Girl yes they knocked on my door and said we've got the day off we found this huge cave the only way to get there is is by zipline and you have to <laughs> so you wear your swimming trunks and a life jacket and you get on this zipline and you jump into the river and then you have to swim into the ocean and into the mouth of the cave and then you can you know bathe in these rock pools and stuff so that felt like a real adventure yeah yeah um as you say you're, you're kind of you have these amazing locations but you are acting against i mean presumably a tennis ball on a stick for for King too Kong. too uh too tall for tennis balls okay um well yeah brie larson who i was, it was mostly standing next to we would pick the top of a tree or a cloud in the sky or a mountaintop um, and work out the eye line with the camera operator and the rest of it is pure imagination 
just yeah. have to imagine it. And is it when you watch it on screen for the first time and you're seeing things that were not there on location? I mean, it, what, what is that feeling like? Is it like sort of an imaginary friend just coming to life? It is stuff? incredible, especially because we spent five months and you spent five months trying to conceive of this thing. And then you see them. I say them, it's Kong plus others. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even if it's just the, the water buffalo, it is incredible to, f- it's like to be in the frame with these creatures that have only existed in your mind. It's, it's really uh, an amazing thing. Yeah. It's familiar. It, it feels familiar from the Marvel stuff because that's so often in those scenes, um, I'm physically present on set, but the Hulk isn't there and Iron Man isn't flying in the, around in the sky. Right. <laughs> so yeah, there is a kind of childlike delight in seeing it all come together. I, I read somewhere that um, yourself and Samuel L. Jackson and Brie Larson were nicknamed the, the three Vietnamigos. Yes, that's uh, as that's the Sam Jackson coinage. Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, was the, is there like a spirit of the trenches thing from an experience like this that you sort of go through stuff that only you can truly appreciate? Like- I think just in it, you know when you have a big experience like this, it's kind of incomparable with any other. Um, then you you always share that. And you know, ultimately, it was just—it felt like a great adventure. Of course, it had its challenges, as as, as any adventure does, and and it was quite physical and uh, running through a swamp every day for ten days um, isn't, uh, <laughs> you know, that's about as many days as you'd want to do. <laughs> yeah, um, the eleventh day, yeah, you're like, nah, forget I'm about not getting it. in the swamp <laughs> yeah. ever again. Um, but yeah, so I think when you, show, when you share those experiences and the kind of, the madness of it, that it, it does, you know, Sam was saying the other night, when you're having to imagine all these creatures and, you know, he would always say, what is it? How big is it? Where is it? How fast is it? <laughs> and, and, and it does feel kind of, um, it does feel mad sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it, it all worked out in the end. And of course, you know, the three Vietnamigos, you, Sam and Bria, are in another universe. You're, yeah. You're, uh, you know, in, in the MCU together. Yeah. Um, I mean, you and Sam are the, the Marvel uh, veterans, I suppose, and Bria is the newcomer. Did you, mm. did you have any sort of advice for her on joining this, this sort of mad universe? Um, yeah, actually, she was cast after we finished. Mm. Um, um, and I think the experience of making this is probably going to help her with the, you know, as I say, living in your own imagination to some extent um, and all the green screen work. But I actually, she has brought so many of her own ideas to the table, which I think um, Kevin Feige and, and all the guys at Marvel are really excited about. So I'm just excited to see what she brings. She's so um, intelligent and curious and investigative and I, I get the impression Captain Marvel is not going to be messed with easily yes yeah do you are you going to get to share any scenes with her I mean I don't know okay. I, I, I'm not like being you can you can bling once if you <laughs> couldn't possibly <laughs> still the god of mischief after all yes <laughs> um Staying in Marvel, I, obviously we all watched Doctor Strange last year and saw... God, it was great, wasn't it? It's so good. So good. I saw it in... Um, it was the... We were about to wrap Thor Ragnarok and um, Kevin Feige flew over um, 
artists to the set and he screened it for the entire crew so I think we saw it two weeks before it was released or a week before and I actually I said to him I think it's I think it's the best okay and I think this is the best one they've made yeah did you know that the the, the post credit scene was going to be there I did you yeah. did yeah, okay. yeah. so yeah. are we going to see Loki team up with Doctor Strange by any chance are you going to get to share scenes with your old pal Benedict to answer the first part of the question uh, I'm not sure team up is the correct verb <laughs> okay in that sentence okay <laughs> we can infer from that <laughs> okay so I'll just leave it there yeah, yeah. okay interesting interesting um, I did just want to quickly ask about Early Man which sure. is yeah. obviously starring in uh, this is Ardman's next movie yeah um, is it after doing all these huge scene films where you're, you're going around the world in these crazy locations against a lot of green screen some of the time is it nice to come back to England and sit in a recording studio with a, a sort of almost painfully slow and incredibly English film like like Early Man, like early man. and just drink lots of tea I imagine yes lots of tea is drunk in that studio yeah. um, I have had so much fun making it Nick Park is one of the funniest men I've ever had the company of being around there was at this, maybe it was my first session um, committing my character the voice of my character to take for the first time he made me laugh so much that we actually had to stop the recording session <laughs> because I couldn't continue oh, wow. and I had to have a break and go outside and calm down and come back in again <laughs> because he will go further in pursuit of a good joke than anyone I yeah. think I've ever met yeah he's relentless <laughs> and and the, and, the, and that unique Ardman sense of humor is 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 right at the the, the fore yeah you do hear for some people recording animation uh, audio is is quite a hard process like yeah. it's quite sort of long and tedious have you have you found that at all is it is it been um, difficult no it's definitely it requires precision yeah um because you want to give the animators as much material to use as possible. Yeah. Um, and also because you're doing it in advance of their work, you know there are so many decisions that are going to be made after the, after the fact. So you want to give them choices. Yeah. Um, and my character is bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't reveal too much, but you'll, yeah. see, you'll see exactly how bonkers he is. Okay. Um, but it's good fun. Okay, well, we look forward to that. Yeah. Just very quickly. You know what it's about, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Cavemen. Cavemen. Yes. Um, just muddling along, trying to, trying to, <laughs> trying to invent things. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just shot through with, with a very traditionally British sense of humour. It's yeah. very dry. I think we're almost out of time. I just wanted to ask, this is um, something we do occasionally at Empire. We do the IMDB Bunker. IMD Bunker. Um, okay, where what we, happens? Let's do we, it. We look at your IMDB page and look at the trivia and then we, we fact check it, basically. Let's we do make it. Let's sure, do it. Because yes. you know 95% of what's on the internet is just totally untrue. That's right. So in the era of fake news, let's, let's get to the truth. Um, so first of all, an easy one. Is your favourite film Heat? It's one of my favorite films. Okay. Um, I, I mean, it's a film I I really love. It's a great. It's just great. Okay. Um, I I saw it at a particular time in my life, and uh, it's it, it's just always never disappoints when I rewatch it. Do you like it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's classic. Classic. Absolute classic. Yeah. Scene with De Niro and Pacino. That's what acting is all about. That is it. That's it. Yeah. 
that's the scene yeah it, when i was at drama school um i already loved the film but my acting teacher would would direct us all to go and see it because it's such a perfect depiction of stakes hmm. um and that drama is actually all about high stakes yeah but they don't pacino and de niro don't play the stakes they play they try to undercut the stakes yeah which is why it's so good because you can they're just having a they're just having a drink yeah yeah when really they should you know they spent the whole film chasing each other anyway we, I, I could get lost <laughs> in, the, in, the, the whole in, in yeah okay next one uh, favorite superhero is superman probably yeah probably yeah um because he's the first one i remember okay uh, as in as um as played by christopher reeve yeah 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 okay. that first film still holds up yeah it's got such wit and yeah. humanity in it okay uh, how about this uh, do you speak french spanish italian greek and latin okay let's take them <laughs> one by one um I, my french is okay yeah um uh my spanish is not as good as my french yeah but i do speak it okay um see uh si je je, uh, je visite France uh, je, je pense que um, c'est assez facile à communiquer avec les <laughs> le gens les gens le monde uh, en espagnol entiendo más que hablo pero uh, entiendo poquito uh, italiano no. <laughs> okay. no I don't have any Italian really I can read it yes. and the reason I can read it is because I um, I studied Latin and Greek at university so I, right. so I can read ancient Greek and uh, Latin but but don't ask me to speak it because okay. they're dead languages <laughs> okay um, all right. does one, that answer your question? that does yeah. comprehensively okay one last one very quickly uh, I'm just going to read out what is read, written on IMDB I, you can tell me if it's wrong all right. his eyes water involuntarily when he is spooked oh that's true that's yeah. true? yeah I think Jessica Chastain revealed that to the world. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, yes. So, so what happens? You you you're, you're well, frightened and then you start start. Sort of yeah. No. It's a, when I so so some people the hairs on the back of their neck stand up or they get the sh the shivers or the chills. Yes. Um, and if I'm if you if you were to tell me a really great ghost story or if um, I, something real went bump in the night. I my I, or I'm watching a terrifying film. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the last time that happened. Name a scary film that's came out recently. Uh, it follows. Maybe? I didn't see that. I didn't see that. No. Uh, under the skin. I'm, yeah, definitely. That was. But I actually found that just enthralling. Yeah. But mostly, if I watch horror films, I get my, the manifestation of fear is that my eyes will water. Wow. I have no idea why. I've never it doesn't seen mean I'm actually before. crying. Yeah. It's not emotion. It's not emotionally motivated. It's just a sort of involuntary, involuntary thing. Wow! Wow! On that note, <laughs> okay. Tom Hiddleston, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, John. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, so that was Tom Hiddleston, star of Kong Skull Island, and here to talk about Kong Skull Island and tell you whether it's worth your Wonga. Oh. Sk Skull Island is um, uh, Helen. <laughs> Hello, it's me. Hey. Um, so this is a slightly unusual take on Kong. Uh, first of all, because it's set in the 1970s. <gasps> uh, yeah. Um, and it's in the final days of the Vietnam War. So uh, an organization called Monarch, which is part of the US government, has um, has basically discovered this island through recently released satellite images. And they're like, look, as soon as the war ends, 
the Russians are going to start getting into this place as well. So we don't want to let them get into this unexplored land. Who knows what incredible wealth there may be lying beneath its surface. We've got to go in there first. So they basically co-opt a helicopter squadron, charter a ship, um, get in a, a jungle fighting expert in the, in the shape of Tom Hiddleston and for some reason bring along a photojournalist in the shape of Brie Larson and head to this unexplored point. Um, things don't go quite according to plan. Their, their scientific methods, and I'm not kidding, include <laughs> dropping napalm on the jungle just, you know, to see what happens, shits and yeah. giggles. Uh, and this is taken amiss uh, by a gigantic ape living on the island. That is, of course, King Kong. Uh, and uh, and he, he basically brings down all the helicopters. So then we have a, a, sh- a scattered group of people trying to find their way to safety through an extremely hostile environment where bugs are roughly the size of houses, quite large houses on stilts. Mm. Um, like water buffalo. Yeah, water buffalo, like something out of a Miyazaki fever dream, are roughly the size of, you know six double-decker buses stacked up and and there's Kong running around just stepping on things. There's also worse monsters called skull crawlers mm-hmm. uh, at least by John C. Riley, who plays a World War II pilot who was um, stranded on the island 28 years before and has gone a little bit doolally mm-hmm. in the meantime. Um, so Kong basically keeps the skull crawler population down um, and uh, is kind of therefore not maybe as bad as he initially seems because they're really horrible. That's kind of it. Thank you for finding the plot in this film. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. And there's huge scattered groups of people um, uh, all trying to fight for sort of screen time. Um, there is one character, and I'm not going to say who, but he might as well be called Dead Meat Thompson because like, he is <laughs> hundred, he's more doomed than you think Jason Isaacs is in, in Star Trek Discovery, let me in tell fact, you. In fact, he was originally played by Jason Isaacs. <laughs> um, uh, and and you know it's it's so there's there's times when the, the human drama I think fails, which is kind of surprising because Jordan Vogt Roberts, uh, the director, came from you know a really uh, strong indie film background, um, and if anything, usually in that circumstance, it's the action that suffers. In this case, the action is fine. It's the human drama that I think sometimes gets lost mm-hmm. between all of the gigantic monsters. Yeah, I mean, I visually I thought it was pretty incredible. Actually, you really, it's it's really lush. It's the jungle is is rendered. The island is rendered really beautifully. Um, I thought Kong was incredibly impressive, but the um, kind of hunt for some human story at the heart of this, or or just a single arc that you can follow and kind of be compelled by, is is very 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 tricky. And that on. Un- un- ultimately is the film's biggest failing I think because um, I was kind of when I was watching it you come in and out you're kind of taken in by a, a a little melodrama or kind of unfolding on screen and then it doesn't kind of thread through to anything so it's it's kind of a series of little set pieces without an overarching story which is just incredibly back by after two hours you're like okay I understand this is fine um, and from a uh, character point of view Everybody did fine, but yeah. nobody really had a chance to shine or to have a properly developed character. I really wanted to know people's backstories, their motivations. Yeah. She's a photojournalist. Tell me, you know, as a woman, as a photojournalist in that situation, that must be a challenge. Why has she done it? How has she got there? What, mm. Why is she? Why are you there? Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of uh, why questions that didn't get answered by this film. Um, so, but I enjoy. You know, it's it's you can go and you can have a rollicking good time. Mm. It's it's kind of mindless. 
less in some ways um but i i think it just doesn't have that kind of narrative thread that pulls you through and, and holds you for the entire film yeah i had a lot of why questions after watching kong scott island um which we'll explore maybe a little bit more in our spoiler special which is coming up uh next week is going to be available on monday what is monday what date is monday the 13th? 13th monday the 13th uh, we're going to have jordan fox roberts uh talking about it as well as well as some of us talking about the film um yeah, you know, it's a fine, okay monster movie, has some decent set pieces. Uh, of course, we should talk about how this movie originated, and it originated as a uh, way of reintroducing King Kong um, so that ultimately he will fight Godzilla, which is a movie that's already been announced for yeah. 2020. Mm. So this is a bigger Kong movie. After seen before. another Godzilla in the meantime. Yes, Godzilla 2, which is just about to start filming with uh, Michael Doherty as mm. the writer director in that one. Um, that's got my interest uh, this one kind of left me a bit cold but uh, it has decent spectacle yeah I would say I, I would kind of agree with all that I think um, Larson and Hiddleston should have had more to do um, because they're both so good uh, when they are given anything to work with but this is a problem when you're dealing with um, and again we'll spoil especially this yeah. a little bit more but this is a problem when you're talking uh, when you're dealing with uh, Godzilla or Kong who are so big so that big, the human I know. characters have to have something about them so that they yeah. matter. I think I think there's an there's an interesting contrast to be made, which I'm sure we will, um, between this and and the 20, 2005 King Kong, mm-hmm. um, which obviously gave itself an extra hour just to try and develop the human characters a bit more. And I think you know if you're going to have this mm. many human characters and there are huge numbers in this film, then I think maybe you needed a little more time. However, um, the other thing I would say to everybody is do stay through the credits. Um, there is quite an important. Uh, post credit sting uh, that explains or at least alludes to lots of stuff that will be important later. So. I couldn't believe they got Hugh Jackman back as well. <laughs> <laughs> I Amazing. know, and when Samuel L. Jackson broke characters appear as Nick Fury, etc. When people start turning up in other companies' movies. <laughs> anyway. Uh, three stars then for Kong Skull Island, which, as we always say in the Emperor Podcast, is, of course, a recommendation. Uh, and next up, we have the return of arts provocateur Paul Verhoeven. He's back with Elle, a movie for which Isabelle Huppert received an Oscar nomination. Terry, this is a bit of a a button pusher, this one, isn't it? It it is, and you would expect so from Verhoeven. Um, So essentially, um, as you say, it's Isabelle Huppert. I am going to, by the way, before we get into this, embarrass myself with my French pronunciation. So um, feel free to laugh at Will, but Isabelle Huppert, who plays um, a boss of a video game company, and essentially, open, the film opens with her attack. You kind of hear the attack, and then you start to see bits of it. And, and she's being assaulted essentially after a man in a mask breaks into her home um, and rapes her. And immediately, you know you're in different territory because she doesn't act like a perceived victim. She doesn't report it to the police. She's still she's quite a caustic. Um, character it doesn't seem to touch her she goes about her daily business she continues work at her job in this video games company and it's essentially um quite it's not a typical rape revenge thriller which often in and of themselves are kind of laced with misogyny and are incredibly problematic but she it's it's very much about she gets taunted by her attacker and then it's about her trying to essentially unmask this guy 
and it's it's an interesting one because I think I'm quite alone in how I feel about this film in that I think it's from a filmmaking perspective it's exceptional she is absolutely incredible and arguably deserved an Oscar for that performance it's mm. a remarkable turn from her because she manages to play kind of she's a victim but she's also a manipulator she is um passive in some scenarios but also in control and so much of it the the dark and light in her character is handled incredibly um however i have huge problems with this film which is i think there is such a difficult line between um coercion and force and consent and i think those lines are really blurred in this film and I think anybody who's ever kind of experienced any kind of sexual violence or anything like that will struggle with um, the kind of masochistic pleasure she seems to get on some level from the violence. Um, they they keep revisiting the attack scene and in it there is definitely, I certainly perceived a sense that there was a level of um, physical enjoyment that she was getting. So I found the, the kind of the sexual politics messaging around this film really difficult because I think there has to be a bit of a clearer dialogue about consent and about um, rape but that said I think lots of other people and I think Helen you're one of them kind of see it as being quite subversive and see it as as actually about taking control in that situation Um, and I mean it breaks convention in so many ways I don't think it's set out to be a, a kind of an a film that deliberately goes after a different narrative with rape. I think it's Verhoeven, so I think it's meant to be muddy and difficult yeah. and challenging in all those ways, which it is. But yeah, that that fundamentally sat at the heart of the film for me as, as kind of a problematic thing. I actually kind of agree entirely that that's there, and I think it's and it made me very uncomfortable, and I didn't like it in some ways. I think what was interesting, and the reason I'm slightly more up on the film generally, is that. I think that the assault that we see at the beginning is definitely non-consensual and is definitely a rape and is is extraordinarily upsetting to to watch as a result and I think that the but the way she deals with it is so completely unconventional and completely and not the way you're supposed to react that I find that just interesting and I find it just um it made me think a lot about what we expect of each other and of ourselves and of, um, you know, quote unquote victims and quote unquote survivors. And, and and I think it's made very clear as the film unfolds that this woman has extraordinary circumstances in her background that make her react in the bizarre ways that she does. I mean, there's a very specific reason why she doesn't call the police. But I think there's also a much wider question of why she reacts in the way that she does and I think she herself is not sure of that until quite late in the film um, and I find that quite I find that really interesting and I find the fact that she has that there are no easy answers with her character just refreshing and brilliant and 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 all down to Huppert I mean she she's talked about the fact that she and Verhoeven basically didn't speak about the character at all really um, he made the film she did the character and they genuinely did not apparently talk about it on set at all um, so you you know it's an incredible incredible performance and, and yeah she was 100% robbed this is one of the most fascinating layered weird performances that I have ever seen even from um, Huppert and I think uh, I think for that alone it would be worth worth seeing but I think there's there's a lot of different questions in this film about Mm. what it means to be independent what it means to be strong what it means to be um, I don't know what it what it means to be violent what it means to be a victim I think there's just it just it made me think a lot about 
all of those issues and it didn't give me answers to any of them and I thought that was quite good. But I agree, it is extremely upsetting. Certainly it is triggering for anyone who, who might be triggered by it. Please, you know, bear your own health in mind that way. Um, but it is, um, I thought, a stunning, stunning performance. Yeah, and I do, I do, I think that conflict in her character is amazing and the fact that she is... I mean, one of the more complex female characters I can remember seeing on screen. And I loved that. And I love the fact that she doesn't, um, as you say, kind of conform to this traditional, what we see as a victim role. Um, And that she, you know, she is at times absolutely infuriating. She can be arrogant. All these things play along at the same time. Um, And I really, that's one of the things that I really liked about the film. I think it's a very specific issue of a conflation between um, consensual violence, sex and rape, which I think is a really dangerous ground to go into. And that for me is, is, and I didn't didn't want her to suddenly kind of have an epiphany and become a nicer character (laughs) and a better do do you know what I mean? That wasn't what I was looking for from her. But um, that that intersection and that Conflation, I think, can be a really dangerous. And I think creating art doesn't take you out of the responsibility of of being very careful when you kind of venture into that yeah. that those areas. But yeah, she's amazing. I mean, there's the levity also she brings. That there's real humour in this film oh, yeah. as well. Um, and you know, there's some. She just has the best withering look I've ever seen on screen. She's unbelievable. Like that. Just, way, yeah. I mean, she is on. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible performance. Um, but yeah, I think that's that central issue um, is something really challenging. Um, but yeah, ultimately she completely, mm. completely holds this film a hundred percent. She does. I mean, not to say that the supporting cast isn't good. I think I think that they are. Um, she's kind of surrounded by. There are hints of male violence all around her. There's a sort of, you know, the, even the games company and the, the games that they're making are super violent, all this kind of stuff. There, there are all of these hints all around her and um, and yet she's the one kind of taking responsibility for an entire extended family and basically carrying them all along with her. So, I don't know, it's, it's, I, I still don't feel like I've entirely unpacked it and mm. entirely understand it, but I, w- I just find it absolutely riveting. Um, As indeed I found that. Yes, thank you. That was great. <laughs> I'll just leave. <laughs> this is awesome. Um, uh, four stars then for L. Uh, do go and see it. Uh, and then, last but not least, this week we have the Love Witch from director Anna Biller. Terry. So, so this is, I have to say, unlike pretty much anything I've ever seen at the pictures ever <laughs> and I absolutely loved it as an advocate of the greasy strangler that is saying something <laughs> do you know what I mean um, there is no grease in this film uh, any stranglings no stranglings no okay. penis um, I'm sorry Chris I'm just taking out all of the key ingredients <laughs> that's it I'm not going so this is a um Okay, I'll start with the plot because this is a difficult film to describe, but essentially it follows a young sorceress, Mm -hmm. as in a sorceress who enjoys witchcraft, um, who moves to a coastal California town. She's newly widowed and she's basically desperately in search of a a replacement for her husband who you uh, eventually learn was murdered. Um, And basically she does this through potions and witchcraft um, and basically she... uh, how do I say it? She woos in these men and then kind of disposes yeah, of them. When they're found wanting. When they, when they are found wanting, which they always are. Mm-hmm. Just let that sink men. in. Men. 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 Can't live with them, can't kill them. So it's, and it's visually, it's absolutely remarkable. So it's very much um, pays homage to kind of the old pulpy paperbacks, um, melodramas of the 60s. 
Samantha Robinson, who plays the lead role, is um, she's actually in the current issue of Empire Magazine. She's yes. in our intro slot in the front section because we we saw this film and we were like, wow, she is she is absolutely captivating. But it is genuinely quite a bonkers film. It goes on far too long. There's a good twenty minutes <laughs> where there's a scene with a somebody riding around on a horse and there's knights and they're in a forest and you have no idea what's going on. Um, and there was one bit where I was like, I'm really tired, but I think I might be hallucinating a little bit. Um, but it's it's beautiful and it's really surprising. She is incredible. Um, and I pretty much loved it. But I think this is definitely one that you either totally give yourself over to and and, yeah. and go with, or you go, what is happening? This is <laughs> this is so stupid. Everything I, is mad. Everything yeah. is mental. I haven't seen this film yet. I really want to see it because the notices for this movie have been fantastic from mm. the off. Uh, well, one thing that's really struck me about this movie, every still I've seen from it, the, the colours and the art direction, and feels like something that's been ripped from... I'd say probably the 40s or 50s in terms of its look. Yeah. But obviously it has very, very modern sensibilities. Yeah, it's quite shocking when somebody pulls out a cell phone and you're like, oh, yeah. wait, what? This isn't... Oh, okay, sure, I guess. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah. <laughs> it is, but it is... And that, but that, um, and that kind of commitment to the um, visual execution of this film is remarkable. The detail in it is absolutely incredible. Um, and when we, when we photographed her for the magazine, I was really shocked that she didn't look like she looks in the film because, <laughs> like, in my head, that's who she now is. Um, but, you know, again, it's a very kind of female-fronted... Uh, it's, it's very much a feminist film, I'd say. Um, mm. Uh, Chris, you're looking at I'm, me. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm Feminist. Appalled. What is that? I know there's the word men in men. Oh, men. Yes. A men. Yes. Oh, I like that. I'm on board. Does she play a man then? Yes. Okay, I'm yeah. on board. But it's, it's the female gaze, which I think is interesting because, you know, so so many of the films, um, especially the big Hollywood films, are very much about the male gaze. This is very much about the female gaze. Go watch it, Chris. I am. It's on my list You'll of love things it. to watch. If I wasn't been waylaid by a house move, I would have watched it by now. But there you go. Oh. Yeah. Moving house. It's all good, neighbour. It's all good. And shout out to Dave, who took my inventory check, my old flat yesterday. He's a big fan of the podcast, apparently. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. He's probably lying. He probably doesn't listen at all. Uh, but what did we give it? Four stars? Four stars. Four stars oh, yeah. in for The Love Witch. I'm excited about this film. Um, and that's it for this week's Empire Podcast in association with three. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by Bill Condon, director of Beauty and the Beast. Here lies all this time. Empire Spirit <laughs> Animal Dance Stevens. Um, until then it is goodbye from Helen toodaloo it's goodbye from Terry goodbye and it's goodbye from me I'm off to read more about this meninism meninism meninists this sounds exciting to me no Chris no when is International Men's Day November 19th oh okay and every other day Chris that's true that's fair yeah I'm off to check my privilege (laughs) see you guys next week you're so woke (laughs) I'm a woke bay. we've established this thanks for listening (laughs) 